Dotnet Rocks episode 889 with guest Dan Walleen. Recorded live Tuesday, July 2nd, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard, and we are where we're supposed to be. Are you? I am. Are you? Really? I am really. I am too. I, I got, you know, I record down in the basement, but I got the uh, curtains up on the little uh, bay window and I could see nothing but blue sky up there. I think there was a song about that by Dickie Betts. Hey. Yeah. Allman Brothers. All right. Well, anyway, uh, we're getting ready for the big fireworks party here Woo-hoo. at uh, Pwop Studios. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, after and if you listen to the show when it was published, it's my birthday. Is it? Well, happy birthday, Richard Campbell. Thank you, buddy. You know who I saw today? Who? Campbell Franklin Mangicotti Miller. Who's three years old. This is Mark Miller and Karen Mangicotti's son. He's three. And they named him after Richard and myself. So his name is Campbell Franklin Mangicotti, which is Karen's last name, and Miller, which is Mark. So he's basically the Monday's roll call. Yeah. The whole Monday's roll call in one name and the <laughs> nicest kid. Here. Oh, he's a great kid. All right. Enough chit chat. Let's get right into a better no framework. And awesome. I think you're going to like it today. Oh, hit me. What do you got? I think Dan's going to like it today. Nice. I'm excited. All right. So there's this blog called Dr. WPF, drwpf.com. Have you heard of it? No. He's really smart. Uh, and does some good stuff. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash drwpf tips, that brings you to the category of tips and tricks. And there's only two on this page, but the first one is about focus rectangles, which is kind of cool about how to control them and all that stuff. But the second one is more, I think, practical for anybody who uses WPF. And basically, the idea of using a value converter, and Dan will know this, is that you first create a something that implements iValueConverter, and then you have to create a resource, and you point the converter to that resource, right? And so it's this extra step. But he figured out that if you uh, inherit from markup extension and then implement iValueConverter in the same class, huh? you can avoid that step. That's cool. So you basically override the provide value method, and uh, and that's how it works. And he's got an example of it. So then you can essentially say, you know, text block, text equals, and then binding some path converter equals, and then just, you know, your local reference, colon, class name. And you don't have to use the uh, the, the resource as an extra step. You don't need any of that fancy stuff. It's pretty cool. That's neat. That's actually really nice. Isn't yeah. that awesome? It's a great little blog, actually. It's very cool. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff here. Who is this guy? I don't know, but I'm thinking maybe we could get him on the show. I I'm agree, although his last post is from 2010. Yeah. Well, it's still good stuff. Still very it is relevant. It's definitely good stuff. Just there you go. DrWPF.com. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, 
Who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 873, and that's the one we did with Derek Whitaker when he was talking about migrating from XAML to, the, to HTML. Yeah. And you may see a theme today, folks, about yeah. our show in general. And this comment comes from Mike Rowley, who says, It was reassuring to hear Derek's experience moving from XAML to HTML. In my region, when someone is a .NET developer, 90% of the time it means they are an ASP.NET developer. So I tried to cut a niche by focusing on rich WPF applications. Now I feel like I may have made a mistake. I've recently dug into HTML5, jQuery, etc., and I'm relieved to find that I no longer have to create everything in JavaScript like the old days. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if part of the demise and popularity of, quote, rich desktop applications, unquote, mm. are a result of design pattern examples typically being web-based examples. Many design patterns like CQRS and DDD fit most platforms, but it is increasingly rare to find examples done with something like WPF, which may include slight differences in use and implementation. For the foreseeable future, I think there will continue to be a need for desktop applications. Something like a complex simulator, in my opinion, would be a lot harder to do in a web-based application where immediate user feedback is required. If the day comes when Visual Studio itself becomes a web-based application, then perhaps desktop applications will become extinct. Until then, I think I'll still try to keep my XAML skills sharp. I have something to say about this. Hit me. Well, you know, and I, I wish we could get some numbers to back this up, but it's my sense that you, you remember when we discovered that, you know, 80% of software development in the .NET arena is Windows Forms or whatever the crazy yeah. number was, and everybody was really, you know, just very shocked and surprised. And that's, is that software is such a new thing and it's always evolving that it's we're, we're developing more of it all the time. And so there's always a hot place where the new development is being done, right? Yep. But that doesn't mean that the stuff that we were doing is stopping. No. It it goes on. I it's, think there's still wind form development going on. Lots of it. So when somebody says, you know, desktop applications are dead, you really got to interpret that as it's not the new, new thing. It's right. It's done. Yeah. That's, but, that's Don Box's old line. Not dead, done. Yeah. But, but that doesn't mean that a lot of development still isn't going on. Yeah. But I think I think an awful lot of development is still going on. Absolutely. Actually, I, th I think this whole belief that the web is dominating is just that we had such a huge buzz around HTML5, but yeah. it was just a buzz. Well, and granted, you know, JavaScript is evolving and everything's moving great, and you know, Plural Sites making it easy for developers to to uh, to get going. So I th I think that there's a lot more web development has been done since ASP.NET first came out. A lot more has been done, but that doesn't mean that. Uh, you know, every, more software is being built in general. You know, it's everybody's expanding. Yeah, we are just building more stuff. There's no yeah. two ways about it. And I don't think anybody, you know, uh, uh, Scott brings up, Scott Hanselman brings up that idea of the dark matter developer. Mm -hmm. You know, the guys that are actually busy just getting the work done, they tend not to play with the new toys. They tend to, they've got too much work to do to have to take a chance on playing with it. So, uh, Mike, I agree with you. Keep your XAML skills up. It's good stuff. And yeah. uh, I don't think the desktop app is going anywhere. I think native apps on mobile are still dominating for a reason. So, you know, stay at it. I think you're working on some great things. Nothing wrong with learning some web skills. You know, it's all good to, to expand our skill set and be aware of the other things out there. Right. But nothing's going away anytime soon. And yeah. CQRS rocks. I think we need Udi back. I Absolutely. miss Udi. Absolutely. 
So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, Mike. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps for iPhone, Android, Windows Phone, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you a mobile app. Check out DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, Richard, I need to tell everybody that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. Hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by experts, releasing 30 new courses every month, more or less, and offering a free 10-day trial, 200 minutes of access. Wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much everything Microsoft, including extensive Windows 8 coverage, HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, and all of that. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let us introduce back to the show Dan Walleen. Dan founded the Walleen Group at thewalleengroup.com, which specializes in .NET, JavaScript, jQuery, Angular, HTML5, and SharePoint consulting, as well as on-site and online training solutions. He is a Microsoft Regional Director and has been awarded Microsoft's MVP Award for ASP.NET, Connected Systems, and Silverlight. Dan is on the INETA Speakers Bureau, he speaks at conferences and user groups around the world, and has written several books on .NET, such as Professional Silverlight Development, Professional ASP.NET 3.5 AJAX, ASP.NET MVP Hacks, and Tips and XML for ASP.NET Developers. Dan blogs at weblogs.asp.net slash dwalin, that's W-A-H-L-I-N, and writes regular columns for Dr. Dobbs and Dev Connections Pro Magazines. Welcome back, Dan. Great to be back, guys, and I just want you to know it's awesome that there are people in the world that can say my name right, so very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we only messed it up a few times. Yeah. Uh, no, it's been a while, though. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I, I gave up now. Now I'm just like, yeah, that's it. That works. Close enough. That's right. Right. That's right. So, yeah, it's good to be back. I know you guys have been busy traveling the world, so uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. It has been a crazy spring, but it's July now, so it's clearly summer, and we should stay home more and cook outdoors and think about what we want to do next. There you go. And I I think way back at the beginning of the tablet show, you did a great one that was like, just resist the drama around Silverlight. I love that phrase. Resist the drama. I tell my kids all the time. We did. Yeah, there's there's a little drama in our world sometimes in there. In fact, yeah. I, I like because the kind of the intro, you did the WPF thing, you did the question about XAML, and I'm a I'm a mutual fund type of guy. And what, mm-hmm. I, what I mean by that is in technology, I like to have my feet in a lot of different areas because, you know, you just never know. Yep. And uh, it's good skills to have, like you said, either way. Absolutely. Do you see a lot of WPF development still being done in your neck of the woods? Yeah, actually, uh, some of the big corporate customers that we do training with, um, not so much, we're not so much doing the, the WPF training per se, but they, uh, are definitely, I'm seeing a little bit more of a switch lately. Uh, there's still a lot of wind forms, obviously, but yeah, I'm still seeing a lot of WPF too. Hmm. It, it seems to me like WPF is actually mature enough now that it can be part of the enterprise developers toolkit. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other big thing there is uh, when it comes to, you know, wind forms, which, you know, a lot of us done have done for forever, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of get the XY coordinate designer and that's about it. But when it comes to styling, yeah, good luck with that, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, unless you go buy a product or you like to deal with pixels. Whereas, uh, you know, with XAML, I mean, you know, like we're talking about with value converters and all that fun stuff, the world is yours. 
But, you know, there's a bigger concept here, Dan, that makes me laugh, which is this idea of even talking about enterprise apps having style. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Did you, what you just say, you know? I'm sorry, you're right, you're right. Because Windfall has had a style, right? Or has a style. It's Battleship Grey. We don't want style. We want conformity. Yeah, that's right. That's what that was about. And now we actually have this conversation about caring about the look and feel of our apps. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because if we would have been talking, what, even eight years ago, maybe something around there, we would have not, would really have not have ever come up. Yeah. I don't even think that long ago. I, I, especially at the big organization level there was just no conversation. There was no need to have a conversation about that. We had a document from Microsoft that said, this is how your app looks. And by the way, the tools we make, make it look like that. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and if you don't like it, too bad. Yeah, you're wrong. This is the way it should look. And and then, <laughs> what is it, round two, it's the 2006, 2007 with WPF. Right. They said, hey, here's this other thing. Have fun. Yeah, go have fun with that. Yeah, they just sort of left us hanging. Um, oh, and by the way, if you want, there's even a really fancy designer for you, yeah, which not. at the time nobody knew how to use. Yeah. No, so. nobody knew how to use. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, I still do all my WPF development in XAML, you know, in the XAML editor. I just find it maddening to use the the designer just because there's so many layers and levels and things that are hard to just click and set properties you know? I'm actually with you. I for the normal control type stuff I do. The only time I I do use the designer for assigning like styles. There we go yeah. again, styles. Yeah. But and uh, the you know item templates stuff like that because those are a little painful. But I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about your Silverlight skills on the web. And uh, seems to me I could open this by saying you know what we've all seen the sort of binding the data binding come into javascript html with knockout and this kind of stuff and it 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 seems like you know the web is getting a little more xaml like at least in our neck of the woods you agree absolutely yeah i which i'm super excited about because uh you know i i think i don't remember if we talked specifically about jquery on a show but i know you guys have on with someone and uh jQuery is awesome, you know, for DOM manipulation and all that. And, mm. you know, you're going to write a lot of JavaScript, but that whole data binding concept that we had in Silverlight, that was like a huge missing piece on the web. So, like you said, Knockout was really what I think kicked that off. Yeah. And just to recap, Knockout was a, a tool that started by a guy from Microsoft in the UK, I think. Yep. And Steve, uh, Steve Sanderson. Steve Sanderson. Yep. And, and he, he sort of came right out and said, you know, this isn't a Microsoft product yet or not not going to be but uh but he worked at microsoft or still does doesn't he i think he still does yeah as far as i know yeah which is really interesting because here's somebody with xaml experience saying you know we can take this binding idea and move it into the browser i personally love the the way styles are done with xaml but i don't see css people giving up their you know their ways anytime soon They've learned too many hacks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I blogged a long time ago. It was related more to Silverlight back then, but I, I called it uh, something like 
control-centric versus data-centric binding. Mm. And what the concept was is a lot of us, especially like WinForms or jQuery or those type of approaches are used to, you have to give a name to your controls and you have to go and put the data in the control. And when I hit the button, you have to get the data out of the control. Right. And uh, that's the control-centric. And the whole point of the post was, hey, people, we need to move on to this data-centric, I call it, which is basically where I don't care what you call the control. I'm going to have this you know, framework that'll shove the data in and let right. me get it out automatically. Yeah. Well, and again, we get to this idea of the same way we're now thinking about every time we build an app, we care about style. It's like, I don't think we're prepared to live without data binding ever again. I don't really care what tool I'm using. It better do this for me. Yeah, I, I would not even write an app. Uh, well, maybe a simple app, but you know, a bigger enterprise or small enterprise, we'll say app. I would not even go that route because... You got to think of, uh, I'm sure you guys over your career at some point have done production support. Uh, I did about six years of it. And if you're not thinking about the maintenance standpoint, and that's what kind of makes me laugh with in the web world when I'll see these people just jump, jump, jump every time somebody says new library and which we'll talk about a new library coming up, but I do think it's pretty cool. But, uh, long-term maintenance, man, if you're not thinking about that, and if you've ever been in that role where maybe you're not only developing, but you're also doing the production support, you know, that gets pretty challenging when uh, it's messy code. So sure I think data binding really cleans that up. Yeah, I just think we've the bar has changed for how productive we need to be, how much we're expected to to accomplish in a given day. And then yeah. these automation tools just aren't optional anymore. They're no more than than you can give up studio or give up your whole development environment. Like they, these are a part of what makes us productive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, if, can you imagine if your boss came in one day and says, okay, we're switching to notepad. Yeah, it's all notepad <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, my brother would be like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a few like VI and uh, those type of folks that would probably say the same thing, but <laughs> not me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, an IntelliSense addicted addict. I have to admit it. Well, you know, it, it get, you get stuff done, right? Like, I, we can actually sit down and do this. You only have so much time. You have to move as quickly as possible. Yeah. And, uh, and like I said, it's not only that, but it's how quickly when a bug comes up in production, can you get that bug fixed? And, uh, you know, if it's needle in a haystack because the code's so messy, then, you know, we've all been there where you're literally like sweating almost because you're kind of freaking out going, oh, my gosh, I don't even know what to do to fix this. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like, and you and you hit on another big piece, which is more sophistication, more uh, automation around um, debugging and testing yeah. as whole. Like, we just, yeah, and luckily, you know, in the client world, JavaScript specifically, that's gotten immensely better uh, compared to the old days. Oh, for sure. Where it was a needle in a haystack. You remember when browsers used to pop up the nice little JavaScript error message? And you'd have like a line number or something. Now they kind of hide it. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Same as line. message box, you know, object error. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you couldn't like even back then, you couldn't even go in and debug that. You just had to go look at the source code and figure it out. So, I mean, XAML's not going away. But I also like this idea that... um that what we've learned in XAML is good when we want to do web development. 
Yeah, the uh, I think you already mentioned you know style obviously has not been a problem for a long time in the web, and we can do that in XAML. And so when I most well almost all our projects nowadays are are a little more web oriented, mainly because you know, if you're sitting in a meeting and you hear the client say the word iPad or something along those lines, even Surface for the RT version, um, you know that's a pretty good indicator that you're probably going to have to go web-based or build a native app, you know, one of those two. And so a lot of the stuff we've been doing lately has been uh, web-based for sure. And, you know, the big framework from uh, being a huge fan of XAML over the years and still am, uh, the framework I'm using a lot is AngularJS. And uh, the reason I like it is because, as you guys know, there's like a million and two JavaScript libraries out there. There's probably a million three just since I said that because right. new ones, new one seems to come oh, out about every day. There goes another one. There goes another one. Uh, million five. Um, and what I really like about Angular is it, it takes a little bit of time to get going with once you once you figure it out though and it clicks. It's pretty awesome, and it I build things almost like I would do in the Silverlight world. So just as a quick highlight here, styles obviously it's kind of doesn't matter about the framework because we have CSS or Xamarin, you have styles. But when it comes to data binding, well, there's Knockout, and there's a lot of other libraries, too, that'll do uh, JavaScript type of data binding. But then you got all those other things, um, such as patterns. So, for instance, in Silverlight, you know, I was a huge fan of uh, MVVM, or WPF for that matter, uh, Model View View Model. And, you know, you kind of miss that if you're used to doing it. And you move from Silverlight or whatever you're moving from the XAML specific into, uh, you know, a more browser deployed solution. And one of the nice things I really like about Angular is it not only has the ability to do data binding like Knockout. Um, in fact, it's similar in some regards to how they do it, but you can also do, uh, you know, in Silverlight and WPF, you can do custom, uh, markup type extensions and in Angular, they have these things called directives, and that's really what they are, mm-hmm. is a way to extend HTML. And so from the XAML developer point of view, if you're kind of moving over and your boss says, hey, we got to do this 100% web app, what I really like about Angular is it provides kind of one script, one main framework that gets the job done for just about anything I want to do. And that includes things like data binding and routing and history and spa concepts like, you know, dynamically loading your views. Plus, they call it, officially, I guess you could say it's a model view controller type of thing. But really, they say MV, uh, MV star, huh. meaning model view anything. Hmm. And well, so and the, way, the only two choices, controller or view model? Yeah, and it's in Angular, it's actually not. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. In fact, I, I did a, a blog post when I very, very first got started with Angular and uh, one of the kind of inventors of it left a comment and just said, hey, you know, he was real nice. He's great blog post, but a controller is not like your view model. And I got thinking about it and he said, your scope is, which he's correct, of course. He mm-hmm. wrote the framework. <laughs> so he knows. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're, you're totally right, of course. And no, what they do is, uh, so the controller is kind of like your brain uh, for the app or for that view, I should say. And what it does is actually, it's responsible for figuring out how to get the data. Now, 
just like Silverlight, where you shouldn't in- embed all of your, you know, data access type calls or web service calls into your view model. You know, you kind of put those into a separate data service class typically. Same thing in Angular. They have factories and services and providers and all this fancy stuff. But what the controller does is just delegates that out to typically a, a factory or service, gets the data, and then the view model really is something called the scope. And then the scope is really the glue between the controller and the view. And so what you'll do is your controller will go get your data from somewhere hmm. and then assign that into the properties of this thing called the scope. And then the scope is what actually gets bound into the uh, view. And that's kind of how Angular does it. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's a different approach. Well, and I I find that uh, people like Miguel Castro, that they like to use knockout by itself, you know, and, and he didn't really get into Angular, or maybe he has now. But last time I asked him, you know, what's your toolkit of choice? He's, he's all about knockout. And uh, I, I guess it just, kicks it up a notch, you know, if you if you go to Angular. It's exactly uh, the way I look at it. it the, the way I, people always ask, what's the difference? In fact, that's probably the number one question I get with this, because we're doing a lot of this lately, this Angular and data binding stuff in the web. Mm. And probably the number one question I get is, why would I use Angular over Knockout? And really, once they understand that Angular is not just data binding, it's data binding plus about 20 other things. Yeah. Um, you know, dependency injection even is built into uh, Angular. And what I like about it is uh, anyone that's done much of the web stuff, Knockout, you're probably not just using Knockout. You have, you know, maybe jQuery and sure. Underscore and, you know, all these other different things. That's where I start to worry because what happens when Carl releases this new fancy JavaScript library mm. and I use it? And then you release version two down the road, but my other script that kind of those two sort of work together. Right. My well, other script the same didn't thing. upgrade. Yeah, it's the same thing that we had in the nineties with the uh, custom control providers. Yep. You know, like the the Telerix of the nineties, basically, where uh, you know some of them had tools that that many companies depended on, and then they had bugs, or the bugs didn't get fixed, or they broke it in a new build, and you know. That's that's the same problem. It's the component third well, party. Well, yeah, one of my problem. big story arcs for the show is trying to solve these tribes of of libraries. Yeah, you know, you're talking you're talking about using Angular over Knockout. That if you're using Angular, you wouldn't use Knockout. But I think it's very hard for most folks to just get their head around. You know, which sets of what should I be using and why? Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. And since we've been talking, another 15 just came out and (laughs) (laughs) there goes another one and it's even harder. So yeah. And that, but that's why I like it because, um, it gives you the, it's, you know, it's not a perfect framework. There's for instance, the routing piece of it. When you switch views in your spa, Mm. there's some things there that, uh, they can definitely make a little better. I, I, for instance, on really large scale apps, you might want to, instead of hard coding your, JavaScript files for your different controllers and things in your page. Well, imagine you have an app that has, you know, 50 screens, a hundred screens, and each one has a controller. Well, that's like a hundred JavaScript files. You'd have to load up front the right. default way. Right. So, you know, like for instance, I was trying to deal with that recently and did a blog post on it recently on how would you dynamically load things. Now that's not as built into Angular right now. They, they know about it. And I know they're going to work on it. 
But um, there's a few little things here and there that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of things, but they're, I'd say they're more minor. And I think yeah. you can say that about any framework out there that, you know, it's missing this or that. Um, and I actually got this question on Twitter when I mentioned I was talking to you about this subject. Uh, John Riley said, what is it HTML5 still lacking that Silverlight had? And, and when do you think we're actually going to get to feature parity? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. I don't think it's going to be. And really, there isn't a, a good answer there because the answer is it depends on your browser, of course. Right. Um, if you're on Chrome, odds are you're doing pretty good because it's yeah. pretty cutting edge. Um, I 11 looks pretty awesome, actually, from what no, I've seen so IE10? far. But not IE10? Well, IE10 is good, but no, there's still quite a few little pieces here and there that just aren't fully baked, I guess you could say. In terms of what? Um, even some of the, well, one of the big ones, CSS3, a lot of things there that, and it's not Microsoft's fault. And keep in mind, none of this is even approved yet on the standards. Right. Um, you know, Chrome is just super, super cutting edge, and they're just kind of like a bulldozer plowing their way through. And if the yeah, spec but the changes, last time they got this far out ahead of the specification, they yanked web sockets and broke a whole bunch of apps exactly right? that's a perfect example right there because the spec or the protocol changed um with web sockets yeah and so a ton of stuff you know in the older chrome wouldn't work and, and i appreciated what microsoft did where it's like hey if you want web sockets go get it it's a separate install because yep. that just keeps you from doing it casually Right, yeah, so they had the know, whole beta section for IE where you could go grab these libraries that were outside of specification, but that extra step just you know stopped you from pushing it out to the public. Yeah, yeah, and and I think uh, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about there in HTML5 where you know even simple things like drag and drop functionality. Yeah, it's just not implemented uh, the same across even the modern browsers right now, and uh, I think that's where when you talk about feature parity little bit of a challenge there because now again you're back to that game of the Netscape 4 uh was it IE4? Yeah, Netscape 4 IE4 div layers. Yeah. battle we had way back in the day. Yeah. And now you're back in that, but now it's not div versus layers, it's this versus a 100 other things. Yeah. because <laughs> of HTML5. Well, I think it's I think I don't think you could ever duplicate the style of programming that Silverlight really was in a browser, even though Silverlight ran in a browser. I mean, it was very much this very distinctive RIA style of development. And, uh, and you know, Spa is close, but Spa still makes me nervous because browsers aren't good at running, you know, without refreshing, replacing the page on a regular basis. Like, it just makes me nervous. Yeah, and, you know, I'd argue... That the modern browsers, I think, are pretty good at that. But yeah. here's where I'd argue you're absolutely right is who's able to predict if somebody's going to hit you versus uh, a desktop versus mobile or tablet. Right. You don't know. And if you just look at Android alone at the fragmentation of the versions out there and all the different browsers. Oh, save me. Exactly. That's, actually, that's I the was part just looking at a great me. study, and I'll find a link to this. It's just showing that the JavaScript performance on phones is shockingly bad. Yeah. And and here we are getting more and more dependent on that JavaScript execution abilities of our clients, and the phones just can't do it. Like it's 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 crazy. 
Yeah, and it's kind of the same thing as desktop, really, because like we were just saying, you know, if you have the modern Chrome or, you know, modern IE, even IE 10 is very solid in most regards. Yeah. Uh, Firefox, you know, Opera uh, is now built on top of the same engine that Chrome's on. So yep. they're going to be pretty similar. Um, I think we have the same problem on the dang phone because you have uh, these people, you know, my mom, for instance, would probably never update her phone unless I told her it was outdated because she just doesn't use it for all the fancy stuff us, uh, I don't know, geeks, I guess we could say too. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't care. Um, and those that have the cutting edge phones, that's like having the cutting edge browsers, but there's still a lot of those phones out there that people just haven't upgraded and yeah. they're, they're older. I just used one yesterday on my dad's. He's all proud of it because it's this super durable can't remember who made it, like Panasonic or something like that. I didn't even know they made phones, but Motorola makes a super durable phone too. Yeah, it's like you could drop it from a three-story building and it's still, you know, will play music or something. But um <laughs> it was I I didn't want to he was so proud of it and I didn't want to say anything, but like the touch screen and stuff was horrible. I mean, I had to keep touching like three times to hit the letter A, you know. You know what? I and I'm not a iPhone fan, but iPhone in an OtterBox Defender. You could drop it from three stories. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You know, like you, it's a hell of a big box around it, but it does, it does do the job. <laughs> it, does, it does as advertised. Hey, Richard, yeah. you know what time it is? Oh, it must be that happy time you again. Got it. It's time to knock out a dumb joke in the middle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> We're going there, are we? <laughs> uh, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome. But before I tell you who it is, I need to ask you a question. Hit me. If you're building a Silverlight light switch application and you're worried that the light development means light performance and underwhelming data visualization, is that you? Well, check out Telerik Rad Controls for Silverlight. With nine hands-on labs to get you started, you'll be integrating the industry's best charting, rich text box, grid view, and more into your light switch applications in no time. Just download the light switch hands-on labs at telerik.com slash lightswitch that's Telerik.com slash light switch. And don't forget to tell them thank you for supporting .NET Rocks. And whoever wins this DevCraft Complete is going to get a copy of those controls. Absolutely. So if you're still working in light switch or, or silver light, uh, you know, the stuff's still out there. Telerik's got lots of stuff. Check them out. T-E-L-E-R-I-K. And today's winner is... Get your clappers ready. Graham Smith. Congratulations, Graham. From the UK. Golf clap for you, sir. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, we just gave away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's everything Telerik does in one box to uh, Graham Smith and because he signed up for the fan club. And you can, too. Just go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away one of these uh, DevCraft Complete Collections. And every December, we're giving away five grand, $5,000 U.S., worth of technology to one lucky member just ask rob corbett he got a phenomenal windows 8 touch and gesture development platform built specially for him uh, to to richard campbell's specifications yep picked out the monitors picked out the hardware found a local supplier near where he was so that he could get good warranty support which he needed come on you can't get that anywhere we'd like to ask our uh guest dan if you had five grand to spend on technology today what would you buy what would I buy? You know, I, I'd actually get a Surface Pro with part of it. 
Because yeah, I don't have one yet. I have an RT. That's twelve hundred bucks, and that is an awesome machine. I'd get yeah. a few of them to hang on the walls all over my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what I want? I've been thinking about this. I'd like to just get a tablet, put it on the wall, and just make it just for Skype. Yeah, you know, just put it where you know where we all sit, like in the breakfast nook or something like that. If we want to include somebody in the conversation, you just lean over, press the button. Well, you know, the other thing is you can configure Skype to auto answer. So on a on a kitchen machine, this idea that while you're traveling, you can literally just call in to that machine, right? And boom, you're there. Yeah, that's a little scary. Don't give <laughs> don't give out your Skype ID willy nilly. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a, that's a that's a kitchen only ID, yeah, and you have to preconfigure who has access to it. Don't but. cook naked. <laughs> yes, well, if you want to, but then you know. <laughs> So does that turn video on automatically too? Yeah, uh, yes. yes, it does. Oh, that could be scary. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it could. I, you, know, you know, I never had this growing up, but I remember one of my friends. He had the uh, oh, what do you what, what do you call it? You go press a button and talk to someone else in the other room. Intercom. It's the uh, intercom. Thank yeah. you, intercom. Wow, I haven't used that word in a while. So yeah, if you had a bunch of those Surface Pros hanging on your walls, like you said, and you have the auto answer on, you could just have an account set up for every uh, room, right? And then you could just call each other and be really lazy. That's real. <laughs> I I flatly admit to have had done a four way I am chat with my family all in the same house to decide dinner. Because <laughs> I mean, it's one thing because the girls are the two floors room. up, but my wife's sitting on the other side of the desk from me. <laughs> oh, that no, that would be a funny uh, a video to record. <laughs> yeah. Wow. The state of the family. Yeah. At least we were talking about what we wanted for dinner. Yeah. Right across from each other. Very good. Hey, I don't mean to change gears too much on this, but have you had a chance to look at the .NET technology guidance documents that came out over Build? I have not looked at those, no. Uh, I'll include a link on the show notes for this, but, you know, after all these years of sort of just Silverlight dead, like where is it at and so forth, this is the first sort of conversation that Microsoft's had formally for development about all of their products. Not just so that they do talk about Silverlight. They also talk about .NET and WPF and, and HTML5 and so forth. Uh, there's a there's sort of short, short version. It's only 10 pages. And there's a long version that's 70 pages. But yeah, they and it's it it is real technology guidance for the first time in many years. I was just gonna say because what's everyone complain about usually that there's not enough guidance, not enough you know, guidance. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm I happen to know about this document because I actually got to do a review of it before it was published, and uh, but I don't think anybody else knows about it. Like it's just not known. I and, yeah, I haven't seen it, so that's but, super interesting. But this is all of the teams getting together and agreeing on what they're doing and what's important and how it should be used. Very cool. And they don't just say, they certainly don't say Silverlight is dead. They say when you're working in an environment where you have control over the browser and you want that rich development experience, this is a valid option. Plus, it's still, I think, the best solution out there for DRM and streaming video. Yeah. In fact, where was I... Amazon Prime, actually, through the web. I was watching, uh, have you seen that new Under the Dome show by chance? Yeah, yeah. I haven't. Been yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. Anyway, I watched an episode and I noticed it was Silverlight. So uh, they're still using Silverlight for uh, that to stream that. Looks like it. Yep. Because uh, at least the one I watched, I, I am being the geek I am. I right click to see what was going on and 
<laughs> it was How is life. this working, right? It's the equivalent of taking a <laughs> screwdriver to it. Pretty much. Yeah, I guess that's how you know you're uh, been developing a while is everything you go to, you go, oh, that's interesting. And then you got to figure out how they did it, you know, then view source. That's right. You know, the reflex I have now when people send me to a website, hey, take a look at this right away. Make it small. See if it's responsive design. Yeah. Yeah. Which is mean. Good stuff for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, now I'm not looking at this. It doesn't have responsive design. Moving on. Next one. I get a I get a horizontal scroll bar, not for me. Yep. Nope. No scrolling allowed. You're out of here. <laughs> so, and speaking of all of that, I mean, when you start thinking about working on the web, I think responsive design is a big piece of this now. It's something Silverlight didn't actually do all that well, did it? No. Um, well, I, I guess you could say if you used, you know, if you didn't go with hard coded pixels in your for instance, grid widths and things like that, then uh, I'd say it was pretty responsive that way, actually, because the problem is it was kind of a bad responsive because, you know, you put a text box in a grid uh, column and uh, what's it do? It fills up the whole column. So if it the screen got bigger, you have this really monster sized text box if you didn't constrain it. But uh, so it was a little responsive, I guess you could say. But yeah, the web... Uh, I, I remember the site I was on. It was a couple of weeks ago. And basically the point of the post was that if you're not thinking about that from day one in your design documents, as you're kind of specking out your flow of your app, that you're doing it wrong. And right. uh, if that's your target, I'd agree. I, I think a lot of people are still kind of enterprise developers and they know it's on desktop and they don't care if it works on mobile per se, or even uh They'll make it work just decent on tablet. In fact, I was, uh, it was a company back east. I won't say their name, but anyway, they, uh, they had that scenario come up. Well, does this work on iPad? And it's like, well, good enough. <laughs> it wasn't phenomenal, but it's still loaded and things. Right. But phone, they didn't care about. So, but I think, yeah, I'm with you. If, if you're doing anything at all that's even remotely public or you have a remote sales force in the enterprise and, you know, they're going to use their phones, which they probably are then I'm, I'm with you. you Got to have responsive yeah. design. Well, and then we get back to that whole thing of the challenge with responsive design is don't make it too JavaScript dependent. It, you got to use styling for it because the JavaScript processing on the phones is just not that strong. There's that word again, Dan. Style. I know. What is the world coming to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I think probably the number one reason Bootstrap is so popular out there is because, you know, you can lay out and it's kind of div based instead of tables, of course. Right. And you have your 12 column layout and then you can break that down into, you know, I want to span eight columns and four columns or whatever you want to do. And then you have like foundation and all these other uh, kind of CSS or a little bit of JavaScript libraries coming out that'll do all that for you. Cause who wants to write all that by hand? Really? Especially if you think of uh, the number of apps you've written over the years that are uh, displaying maybe tabular data, but how well would those look or how would they look on a phone? And for me, I know the answer would be really bad. Okay, you brought up Bootstrap, but uh, and we've talked about it a little bit before, but in you know trying to find a really good definition for it, how's this? Because uh, I've used it. Um, CSS by itself is great, but Bootstrap brings a little structure to it so that you have sort of built-in names for for styles 
that you can then swap out the CSS files for and magically, you know, the, the whole look and feel of your page changes. Yep. That's, I mean, that's exactly what it does. So it adds a little structure to it. Plus then, of course, you know, within that structure, there's tons and tons of bootstrap templates and CSS files. Yep. And tons and tons of libraries coming out to support it. And, yeah. you know, they're bootstrap enabled. And like I said, there's, there's foundation. I don't remember that there was a, I don't remember the name, unfortunately. There's a light one. You know, there seems to be this big movement lately. You know, the whole vanilla JS crowd, for instance, that, yeah. oh, you shouldn't use jQuery because, you know, which my response is, then I guess you only support a few browsers because uh, good luck with that on mobile. But anyway, um, same things going on I've seen with Bootstrap even. There's a bunch of new ones that have come out that are kind of really streamlined versions that are not Bootstrap, but they do similar things. Uh, and it's pretty cool because, yeah, I, I think you nailed it pretty well there that it gives you some structure and instead of, you know, John calls it this and Michelle calls it this. They give you some nice structure the team can base it on and it makes it a lot easier to change. Good for production support. But always trying to get lighter, lighter. Like I say, everybody's library is heavier than the one you want. Yeah. Yeah. I, you've seen, uh, if, for instance, in going back to Angular, they, you can use jQuery directly if you'd like and it works awesome, but they have this built in thing called JQ Lite and, uh, in a nutshell, it only does a really small subset of what jQuery does, but you know, enough to be dangerous. And that way you can do your, <laughs> your DOM manipulation and you don't have to write it all from scratch and all that stuff. So, right. As long as it's a subset you want. And for me, so that's going back to the number of script libraries out there and, and the whole production support tangent I went on. Um, so I'm not a big fan of, you know, having things where I, I don't mind custom scripts that I wrote in there because you got to have that. You got to have your custom logic. And yeah, it's your, never going away. Yeah. I mean, there's no way really to eliminate that, but it does bug me when there's a ton of frameworks. And uh, Scott Allen and I, for instance, are working on uh, an Angular thing right now that we're going to do for Pluralsight. And we're trying really, really hard not to include a lot of third-party libraries, but the one I found that I just haven't been able to really get rid of is jQuery. Yeah. And that's because the all the plugins. Because, you know, who wants to write your own calendar? <laughs> sure. You know, good luck Good luck with that. So that's where I, I kind of laugh when I hear these people, oh, you don't need jQuery. It's like, so are you seriously going to write every single one of those cool, you know, one of my favorite plugins for jQuery is called Data Tables. Yeah. And, uh, you know, awesome if you've seen it for sorting and slicing and dicing data in tables, columnar data. And, uh, you know, to write that by hand, can you imagine the effort that would go into that to test it and make sure it works on all the browsers? And so that's where I kind of laugh when I hear people saying, oh, jQuery is dying. And I, I do think jQuery, given the data binding stuff we talked about, is probably maybe not as common, as, at least for me, as it was. But I still use it for, even with Angular, for some of these plugins, um, which that'll probably change too. Somebody will do a pure plugin for Angular. But uh, in the meantime, you know, I'm not going to go out and waste time to write my own calendar. There's no client we work with that would want us to do that. Well, and I, and I just went to website optimization to check their average web page size data. And, they, and one of the things they talk about is from 2008 to 2012, page size tripled. 
So <laughs> they went from true. a sort of average size of 300K and 50 objects to average size of a megabyte and 100 objects. Wow. That right but, there speaks to the move to the client, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's just the side effect of the move to the client, but it's not JavaScript. They're only talking about, I mean, they're not saying JavaScript's okay, but, you know, out of that megabyte, on average, only 70K of it is is JavaScript. Oh, wow. Which is not bad. It's mostly images, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely some image-heavy sites out there. Well, and, it's, and, and mostly badly used. I mean, that's the bigger thing, is that just... They, and the, the point they're making here is you're not putting that much, you're not putting that many pixels up actually for images. You are putting up a lot of images, but you're making them way higher resolution than they need to be. Right. So I'll, probably- I'll include the report. It's a good little report. And it, it is, it, but it gets back to this idea of, you know, pages are big. Like loading megabyte pages into phones scares me. That's, that's crazy. Mm. Can you imagine back in the days when we had the, uh, when, when when did I have that? Probably about 94, 14.4 modems. Didn't we have those? About 1994. <laughs> you imagine yep. that you hit a, you hit a page yep. and it's a meg. I used you to be able going, to read it as it scrolled down the screen. Sure. <laughs> I think it was about 2,400 baud where I was like, whoa, that's way too fast. Got to slow <laughs> that down. 300 is about all I could read. But uh, I've also hit a bunch of web pages on my Win phone where I, you know what? Three seconds, dudes. If there's nothing rendering, bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, that's a, you know that's another big thing too. That uh, when people move that are really uh, desktop or client centric, meaning WPF, Silverlight, that type of world, and they and they're kind of forced to move into the web world that they don't think about is the number of HTTP calls. Cause that, you know, on your phone, it, that kills me. I'm with you. Oh, yeah. It's like, if that thing doesn't load pretty fast, it's like, especially it kills me when you'll see it starts with like M dot, you know, meaning mobile. Right. Yeah. And it still loads like a beast and you're going, come on, this is your mobile page. Yeah. It's like, come on. And uh, usually the big killer of that, of course, is the number of HTTP calls being made. Yeah. And that's the other big revolution that, you know, we're seeing these days is JavaScript build tools like Grunt, as an example, that will, you know, automate, concatenate in your, uh, for instance, JavaScript or CSS together. So you minimize the number of calls and compressing it and all yeah. that fun stuff. And just, yeah, pack those things together. When we talk about spriting images together so that all the images are actually one image, just eliminating those round trips. There's, there's ways to do all of this. You just have to put some time into it. So, Dan, what does the perfect web development environment look like to you? So, if it was and perfect... I'm not talking about anything today. I'm talking about if you had, you know, unlimited resources and you can make it any way you want, what would you like it to be? I honestly would base it on XAML. Um we'd get rid of everything else. <laughs> it's, not it's just too, it's just too much of a, a hassle. Um, and I, and I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of the web. I, it's what I do. And I do the XAML of course, as well with now more of the windows eight type stuff. But, um, yeah, I would probably base it on that. Although I don't think I'd use the XAML styles. Um, yeah. they're just too ver- verbose for me. I, I'd still CSS is pretty hacky in some regards. I realize, but if it was at the perfect world and I could pick it, I'd probably combine CSS with XAML, but still have the, t- you know, template capabilities and all that. Um, and then, well, probably C sharp, <laughs> right? I love JavaScript and all, but, uh, 
Yeah, I, I'd go back to what Silverlight does pretty much. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think C sharp is just a great general purpose language, and I'd I'd love to see, you know, XAML C sharp stack that, uh, you know, besides Light Switch, which you can use to create uh, HTML5 applications. Yep. Now, what what do you think about that? Is that is that your XAML solution? I mean, Light Switch is obviously kind of closed in terms of you know being black boxy, but you can write you know code in there you can write c sharp code and that stuff will run on the web so i uh have only i I guess the best word is played with it Uh, i haven't actually had a client requesting an app or done anything training wise with that yet but Mm -hmm. the stuff i've played with and the stuff i've seen i have to be honest i was impressed because you know richard talked about the whole responsive design well it does that right uh, you talked about it. It is a black box, but it's ex- it's an extendable it's black box. Extensible, right? And that's pretty awesome. And that that's where if they would have made it where it just kind of spits out this code based on what you do in that visual designer they have, and that's mm-hmm. what you get. And mm-hmm. you know, you get what you get. Don't throw a fit. They used to say in my kid right. uh, kindergarten class. Um, with the extensibility point, I think it's pretty awesome. Actually, um, I had somebody recently in a class we were doing. And she was really into light switch. And so we got talking more about it and uh, it's totally changed her entire workflow. Uh, like that's all she does now is light switch apps. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. I'm actually pretty impressed with it. I, it's something it's uh, item number 1001. I need to spend more time with one of these days, but well, if uh, it can increase yeah. your productivity. Shouldn't it be item number one. I'm well, just, I, I if, don't work for Microsoft. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I big would, fan of Beth Massey, you know. She would, uh, this lady I was talking with, she would totally agree with you. And from what I've seen, I agree with you too. It's just most of the stuff we're doing, the client's never even heard of it yet. So, Right. Well, and it's just this interesting point that when you're talking about CRUD apps, there's not a lot of inventing going on. Like it's, it's a templatable thing. It reminds me of VB in the early days. Where and and for good and bad in that it's highly productive. It's a limited set of capabilities, and it's being mocked by quote real developers. Yeah, well, not by us. I think it's I, great. I'm just we're just old enough to remember and realize, hey, you know, and even though we're not jumping on it, but you know, I'm not building a lot of crud apps these days. But I'll tell you, if I was, I'd probably be spending more time with it. If I was still doing that old shtick that I did with. D-Base back in the day where I went from shop to shop, what app can I build you? This would be the tool I'd have with me because yeah. you get more done in less time for less money. Right. And if I'm a, in the manager role at a company, and I'd be jumping all over, at least at least prototyping and exploring it. Uh, because like you said, how many apps do you write that all it is is just CRUD operations? Yep. So I'm with you there. I'm all about productivity. It's That's a good thing. Well, what's next for you, Dan? Where you uh, where you off to? Uh well, like as of tomorrow, I'll be off to see Richard up in <laughs> Vancouver. <laughs> well, you're headed actually for an Alaska cruise. It just happens to be I live at the debarkation point. Yep, yep. Vancouver's just the spot, and uh, I'm pretty excited. We're taking my parents have been wanting to go to Alaska forever, so we're gonna go with a uh, go on a little cruise with them to Alaska. But aside from that, technology wise. Um, have some conferences coming up, uh, Dev Intersection and Dev Reach, mm-hmm. and uh, those are the main ones. And then just 
few user group things here or there. So right. staying busy, uh, doing a lot with Pluralsight as well still. All right. Well, that's great. We'll see you at all of those places. Yes, you, yeah, you will be at all of them, I'm sure. Have fun on that cruise. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for talking to us, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a